Hello and welcome to The Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Vela News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And hey, wait, did I read that right? Are we back with the Velo News Podcast? Yeah, I, I hope so, because we are in literal Velo News World Headquarters in literal Boulder, Colorado right now. So uh, we're either on the Velo News Podcast or breaking the law. Your choice. We're back with Velo News for the Spring Classics this year, bringing you the best in pre-race analysis. I think it's the best. Hope it's the best. We're going to try to make it the best. For any of you who listened to the Velo News Podcast a couple of years ago, or who just have a voracious appetite for cycling content, well, you may have heard of us. But in case you don't, we are a race previewing outfit here at the Recon Ride. We, we like to talk about routes and start lists, make some predictions, and uh, occasionally inject a little wit when None. possible. None. Uh, it's usually impossible, so we try to steer yeah. clear of that, but... Yeah, so we're going to preview this race, Milano-San Remo. We're going to preview the other three spring monuments as well. So there's something to look forward to for the next couple of weeks, by the way. Uh, we're going to get started, though, with Milano-San Remo. And like we said, we're going to mention what this race is all about. We're going to talk about how the riders are going to get from point A to point B. And we're going to talk about who those riders are, who the who the big favorites are, who we think has a good chance of winning this race. We'll try to give you some 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 tidbits about history, you know, maybe the occasional cultural fact or... I don't know, some sort of interesting information, but uh, this, is a, this is a deep dive into Milano-San Remo, and that's what we do. We deep dive, and, and hopefully uh, you can enjoy that. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best to keep it enjoyable for the next, um, well, I guess we'll see how long this show runs. Paris and Torino Adriatico have been nicely sewn up by uh, Mark Soler and Mikov Kwiatkowski, respectively, which means it's time for what is probably the, the, the first race on the World Tour calendar that is... Let's, let's call it a, a bona fide target for even the biggest stars of the sport. Not that Torino is not a great race or Paranese isn't a great race, but there's a lot of tune-up talk that gets thrown around at those events. And there's not a whole lot of tune-up talk that gets thrown around at Milan-San Remo. Uh, if you're a sprinter, this is, your, this is your, your race. I don't know about you, but I do a lot of 291K training rides, uh, usually in bad weather on really nervous coastal roads. Uh, yeah, no, this is... You've always this, been fitter than me, so... Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it's yeah, true. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's probably why. Yeah. It's the, uh, anyway, yeah, this is this is a very old and storied race. Uh, the first edition was in 1907, um, when cycling was really more of a adventure sport than a kind of organized with, you know, tactics and stuff. Um, but uh, through the years, people got tired of it ending in sprints, and so they added the Poggio, and that broke things up a lot, and then it started to kind of trend back towards sprinting and they added the Tripressa and that broke things up a little bit. Uh, and then in the 90s and the 2000s, it got really, really sprintery. And I think we may be kind of creeping away from that sprintiness uh, in the current moment for a variety of reasons, but that's a rough history of the event. Yeah, I would say it is the most, it's the sprintiest of the five monuments. Uh, and, and it's kind of a rare... Uh big one day that does go to the sprinters there really aren't a whole lot of them i mean again wevelgem even in recent years has kind of trended away from that so it's it's definitely the race that if you're a sprinter and you like one days it's it's your race although as you point out it doesn't always go to the sprinters no that last year is a great example and i mean a even better example because you had a sprinter who decided they didn't want it to go to the sprinters and it turned out not to work so well for him but i mean he came pretty close to winning i can't i can't get that mad about it I mean, I'd be happy with the podium at Sunray. Absolutely. But he did a lot of work, and it didn't quite work out. He didn't seem all that thrilled with it. Uh, that, that sprinter versus attacker conversation where uh, 20 minutes to go in the race, we really don't know if it's going to be a sprint or, or an attack. That's kind of what makes Sanremo Sanremo. And and I, you know what? I kind of like that the sprinters have a monument that they can win. No, I, I, it's 
you have to you have to kind of approach this race on this race's terms. Uh, there's definitely not a lot going on of consequence for the first few hours of the race, um, but that you know makes people really tired, uh, and it it kind of helps define it in in light of the other uh, the other monuments. And in terms of describing it as sprinters versus attackers, like uh, it's it it isn't necessarily uh, a combative relationship between the two. You can have a team. In fact, we have some teams this year that have both sprinters and attackers, uh, which opens up some tactical opportunities that wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened last year. We had a, a, an escape with three strong riders in it, Peter Sagan, Mikov, Kwiatkowski, Julian Alaphilippe. And uh, Kwiatkowski and Alaphilippe both had guys kind of back in the group that, that were capable of sprinting. And so if Sagan looks back and says, hey, how come you're not working? They could say, well, sorry, bro. We got guys who can sprint, so uh, we don't really feel like doing that. And uh, it, it actually worked out pretty well for uh, Kwiatkowski. He was the one that came away with that victory. Um, yeah, so it's it's always kind of hard to say who's gonna who's gonna win, especially uh, yeah, especially last year. I think we saw what can happen when a really strong group gets away. Uh, that said, I do think the race does maybe a little trend more towards the sprinters still. Uh, even beyond that sprinter versus attacker question, the race has produced plenty of surprising winners in recent years. I mean, even when it's finished in a sprint, we've had Arno DeMar has won the race. Yeah. Allegations that he didn't actually get back to the group without assistance, which I think are phony, but it, it, it is a question that you don't often ask about bike racing these days is, you know, where did that guy come from? How did he get back? He must've cheated somehow. Uh, you, there is a lot of racing that goes on behind the race. And I think it's really cool to see a guy come back from that and win just to show that it does happen. And to be fair to Arnaud DeMar, he is a pretty good rider. I mean, oh, he's yeah, won plenty yeah. of big races. I, I was never yeah. on board with the, oh, he must have taken a toe. Like, yeah. There are pictures of him riding really hard with a bunch of teammates. Yeah. He has a Strava file that looks pretty like it was not altered. So uh, Ger yeah. Gerald Schillick, though, maybe one of those guys who's a big surprise. And, and this race, despite it, even if it does come down to a sprint or an attack with some big riders in it, it has had those kind of surprise winners. Simon Garens, another guy that I don't really think Garens was a, a, a top one or two favorite headed into that race. And yeah, so this race can can surprise you in the last 20 minutes, even if, let's be honest, for the first five hours, it can be a little yeah. less exciting to watch. Well, that's that's why you have the weather, right? Is so that you can see things like dudes literally getting off of their bikes, getting on the team bus driving over the Drakino Pass, driving back down to the somewhat less terrible weather on the Mediterranean coast, and then restarting the bike race. This has happened, actually. Yeah, this, yeah, this isn't yeah. just something this that Cosmo is, made up. That actually did this, happen in the last 10 years. This would be like the Super Bowl, and like the roof gives way, so they all get on buses and drive across town to a different stadium and continue playing the Super Bowl. It's, it's truly remarkable stuff. Whatever it takes, you know. Uh, there is... At least currently on the forecast, and we are recording this podcast in the middle of the week, there is some uh, some chance of rain. So we'll see if that does have an impact on the race, because obviously rain, thunder, that kind of stuff, and obviously cold weather too, that can really change a bike race. I mean, if you're a rider who tends to perform in uh, good conditions, it can be totally different when it comes down to uh, crappy, cruddy weather like that. So that's something to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on that forecast and see how that uh, changes the race. I mean, we saw earlier this year, we saw Strada Bianca with uh, snow on that course and then melting for the race just made a muddy, muddy <laughs> race and a, a great That'd race in the great end. great race. You kind of feel well, bad for the riders, but hey, it's fun to watch. So. Yes. So we are going to talk a little bit more about the route and then we're going to talk about the contenders. Uh, and then we'll make some predictions to see who, who we think is going to win. Put our cred on the line because that's what we're here to do, really. 
so yeah, let's let's dive into this route. So taking a deeper dive into the Milano Sanremo parkour, the race, unsurprisingly, travels from Milan to Sanremo in Italy, uh, in the northwest of Italy to be specific. Milan, of course, uh, kind of the financial capital of Italy. And, and fashion. And fashion, yeah. World fashion capital, you could argue. Paris and New York and Milan. And they make some cars near there, and there's some some good soccer teams, football teams, yeah. if you're a European listener. You know, it's a it's a major city with uh, millions and millions of people. And they, 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 uh, they're going to ride from Milan quite a long ways, 291 kilometers to be exact, to San Remo, which is a pretty small little town on the coast. A nice little tourist destination, uh, actually very close to the French border. And uh, it's a lot quieter than Milan, but a nice place to finish a bike race. Generally better weather too, which I think people are, are kind of after uh, this time of year. Yeah, especially if you've ridden 291 kilometers on your bike. So we're going to see the Peloton travel for quite a long time. It's several hours in transit. And uh, admittedly, not a whole lot going on. There's going to be a breakaway, probably not too much. I mean, it might be some crashes, but we're not going to see a whole lot of action. Uh, that's my first prediction of the day. Not a whole lot of action until at least the last hour, if not the last 30 minutes. Things do really pick up, though. Um, after like six hours of yeah. kind of boring <laughs> racing, uh, with only one climb, which is the Paso del Torquino, uh, there are some some late rollers that build up to the Cipressa and the Poggio, which are the two, the key, the marquee climbs, if you will, of Milano San Remo. The Poggio comes just five and a half K from the finish. So you got to get over these two late bumps. Uh, Cipressa, 5.6 kilometers at 4.1% average. Uh, Poggio is about 3.7 K at about 3.7%. So neither one of these climbs, super challenging, but that's, you know, after 290K. It's a little different. They're definitely not your typical classics climbs. I think the Poggio statistics are a little misleading. There's definitely a steep-ish section on a couple of spots. But it's really, if you watch the race closely, it's less about making big attacks and more about really holding your position. Because there are, you know, there are 80 guys at the bottom of this climb. And it's so easy to get swamped and fall back and not be able to make the group that gets away, if a group gets away, um, they're, they're Michael Matthews, I think last year or a few years ago, just missed. Like you can see him following a move and could not quite get there. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's really hard bike racing. And I think the numbers, the numbers kind of belie that a little bit. Yeah. And also the, the descents are a big part of these climbs as well. You got to go down them after you go up them. And that can also, especially the being in bad position, you're, you're in trouble. If you're way back there after you climb that, uh, Either one, the Cipresso or the Paggio. The descents are terrifying. There's no other, like watching a nice weather day GoPro of it looks horrible. Can't imagine in a a race with wind and wet road, wet crummy Italian road. Like, yeah. Fortunately, uh, the finish is on the Via Roma, which is a pretty nice road. A big kind of wide urban boulevard close to, if not on the ocean, uh, definitely gets some wind effect from being that close to the water. It's a long straightaway after the final bend, which is really more of a chicane. And we've seen people crash there, as we mentioned earlier. Um, and it's really easy to go to early. It's really easy to go too early. Uh, there was kind of a trend for a while there where these races weren't won so much by the guy who finished first as they were lost by a 
sprinter regarded as stronger making a bad decision. I'm thinking in particular of Alexander Kristoff, who uh, had a really helpful uh, teammate in uh, Luca Paolini, who was very instrumental in a lot of his success. But that particular year, I mean, Paolini hit the front pretty early. Kristoff, who likes to go early, was just too early. And John Degenkolb came around and beat him. Uh, And that, that can happen here on the Via Roma Sprint. And uh, some of those names, by the way, going to be in contention, I think, again, not Luca Paolini, uh, but some of the other names going to be <laughs> in contention this year. Uh, that that Via Roma finish is, uh, it's a really nice one for for a big sprint. It's just really, it's a great way to finish a, a long day if you're a sprinter, of course. And we did mention, we, we kind of like it. I mean, even if it ends in a sprint, it, it's usually you don't know if it's going to end in a sprint. So it, it stays interesting all the way to the line. Don't don't be that one guy who's like, oh, it ended in a sprint when 30 seconds earlier, it might not have been a sprint and you were on the edge of your seat and it was an awesome race. Like, you got to remember that it's about the the actual competition. It's not about, you know, where same time stopped at the end of the day. If you didn't know it was going to be a sprint, it's still exciting. I mean, even yep. if it ends in a sprint, that's my take. So I, I think we're, we're yeah. Concur. We're, yeah. Strong concur. All right, so we've talked about the route. Let's actually get a little deeper into this start list and talk about some of the potential protagonists for Milano San Remo. So, Milano San Remo, last year, Peter Sagan came so close to winning it. And that's happened a couple of times, actually. Peter Sagan, uh, he's been close before. And if you look back over the last several editions, you'll notice his name up there uh, more than once. He was also up there in 2013. Uh, he was second that year as well. This seems like the perfect race for Peter Sagan. So let's start by talking about Peter Sagan, because he has the sprinting ability. He has the ability to get away. We saw this last year. So he's really a factor in either one of those options. And yeah, this is a race that can be, as we discussed, unpredictable. And by the way, we're talking about this start list a couple of days in advance. Things can change, you know, between now and the time the race starts. But if there is a constant at this race, I think it's Peter Sagan is a contender. Yes, I agree. And I, yeah, he has won this, he has failed to win this race in a dizzying array of methods. Uh, But I think one of the things I've enjoyed the most about watching Peter Sagan over the past few years is him get really good and selective and smart about his efforts. Like I was a little surprised when he attacked last year. Uh, I think he would have been fine if he sat on and waited for the sprint. Uh, last year's world championships were a little tricky to follow in the last uh, 5K due to some technical difficulties. Uh, but if you find that chopper footage and if you listen to Peter Sagan's interview at the end of the race, he really talks about how how little work he did kind of getting back up. He did, you know, pull here, pull there, close the gap, but was very focused on that final sprint. And I think I think this is the year Sagan finally puts it all together. I think we're going to see a much less aggressive Peter Sagan on the uh on the Paggio, on the Trapresa, although I've never really seen him be active on I've never seen anybody except Nibali be active on the Trapresa. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, thanks Nibali by the way for <laughs> making that part of the race interesting cuz you're right. Eh, yeah, people yeah. don't really get away that often. Well, we, we can bring it up with Daniel Oslater. 
because uh, that's a weapon that Peter Sagan has. Well, let's talk about that. So he's he's for the last several years he's kind of suffered from a lack of teammates, but this year he really picked up a new one that that could make a difference. Yep. And it's not that Peter Sagan didn't have good teammates before; it was that he didn't have a guy like Oss, who is this ultra hyper lieutenant who can you know, be guiding you into the final kilometer. He can be going on an attack over the Chapresso, which I believe we've seen him do. Really gives Sagan more cards to play. If if last year Sagan's in the group and Oss goes up the road, he can sit back and do what Quickstep and Sky did to him. Um, and so it's it's a much better it's a much better situation for him. Uh, and I think, you know, we're seeing we are in peak peak Peter Sagan right now. I like him as the winner. So moving on down the the start list, I think we started with the the guy who we think is a a fair bookie's favorite, and he is the bookie's favorite, by the way. I think another guy who's worthy to mention is, of course, the defending champion Mikov Kwiatkowski, riding for Team Sky. Who he's had a nice year so far. Uh, he's he's just fresh off of a Torino Adriatico win, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Not that he's not a very talented rider, but he's climbing really well this year, and uh, that's going to come in handy if he wants to win Milan San Remo. Yeah, he he did win Toronto Adriatico, but he also didn't win any stages. And it's you gotta. This is not a cumulative wins category. This race, you got to be up there. Got to win. But he does have Gianni Moscone behind him, which uh, gives him you know another card to play like he had last year. So yeah, they have some options for for trying to get away on those last two climbs, and both those guys have good finishing kicks. Not not the kind that's going to beat a group of fifty, but a group of ten. Yeah, certainly for sure. Uh, so they they have a good chance here. Uh, which, you know, Sky, Mikhail Kwiatkowski, uh, I think they're going to be thankful if he can, let's say, redirect the conversation a little bit uh, from what's <laughs> been going on over there. He is a very well-rounded rider, which comes in handy here. Speaking of well-rounded riders, the guy that finished third last year is Julian Alaphilippe riding for Quickstep. Quickstep with kind of an embarrassment of riches at this race, and that is even without Fernando Gaviria. Gaviria crashed out of Torino Adriatico. Well, he did technically finish the stage, I think, but he crashed at uh, Torino Adriatico, broke his hand. I think he needs surgery. He's out for Milano San Remo, which is a huge bummer for Gaviria because he was targeting not only uh, San Remo, but he was also hoping to get some classics experience in general this year. But Quickstep itself, I don't really see that the chances of winning went down that far because they have so many other options. They have two great attacking options, Julian Alaphilippe and, uh, Philippe Gilbert, and and that's a that's a big boost to this team. But it is not contract year Gilbert, as we saw. This um, is true. He is a guy who really performs well when there's money on the table, and maybe less well than I think people would want him to afterwards. Uh, which is you know fine. It's a business. He needs to you know have money to retire on. But uh, he's you know he's a he's a he's a great rider. He is obviously not as good as he once was, but he's still a guy who goes up the road, and everybody you know kind of throws up in their mouth a little bit because they realize they're going to have to chase him down and it's going to be hard. And Alaphilippe is, I, you know, I think where Sagan is now is where we're going to see Alaphilippe in three or four years. Like he's really kind of trying to figure out, everybody knows him. He's a known quantity now. They know he's a dangerous rider. We've seen him make moves at Worlds uh, last year. It didn't quite work out. Uh, but he is somebody who is really, I think, kind of figuring out what they can and can't do at the top of their ability. And you know, the best way to do that is by mixing things up in attacks. Yeah, and he has sort of the similar thing to Kwiatkowski where he can, I mean, he can time trial, he can sprint, he can climb. He has that very versatile skill set, which comes in handy at this particular race. This team also, of course, has uh, one of the hottest sprinters of this early season so far. One of the one of the winningest, to use a very popular American <laughs> word, uh, uh, seasons so far this year in Elia Viviani, who is going to be, if they send somebody up the road, kind of waiting back in the 
potential sprint and He's looked as strong as anybody else of the of the purer sprinters on this start list so far this year. Uh, sealed the overall victory at the Dubai Tour, which, sure, that's not a World Tour race and it's an early season event, but he had to climb up to Hadadam to do it, which is... I had to walk up that thing to the press tent. It's, it's pretty steep. I was just about to say, I think uh, I think you were there. I you was there. saw it happen. I did. I saw I saw poor Brandon McNulty have his dreams <laughs> shattered. Uh, but, had, by the way, he was a great sport about it. His kid's like 19 years old, and he's still in pretty good mood uh, after that. So, anyway... Elie Viviani climbed up that thing and won that race, the uh, the overall title at least. I think he's climbing pretty well right now. And he is, now that Gaviria is out of this race, he is Quick Step's pretty much de facto sprint option. There's no there's no controversy there anymore. So all that all that being the case, we gave Elie Viviani a call to get his take on the race, what it means for him as an Italian rider, what Quick Step is planning to do, all those good things. Here's Elie Viviani. Elia, welcome to the Vela News Podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm really happy to join you. Well, we're happy to have you, especially uh, ahead of uh, a race where you look to be a pretty strong contender. You've had a really good season so far. Uh, first question I have for you, I'm, I'm kind of curious, coming over to Quick Step, especially riding for Sky for so long and uh, Cannondale before that, has it been an adjustment having a lead out uh, and, and is that something that you're trying to get used to actually kind of relying on a big lead out train yeah i think it's what every sprinter dream you know it's when from when i become pro in liquigas in canada i have a, a really strong guy but the mentality is not always go to go to the race like with full sprint uh, team and that that is the biggest difference from quick to the other team i uh, i've been in the last few years so uh it's one of the biggest biggest team in the world, and they have this mentality for sprinters. So I really can enjoy every stage sprint, every every sprint because they are really ready. But not just the man, the guys I have always with me. Really, all the team are uh, are really ready to to help the sprinter in the sprint. So if you you can see also big champion in front in front of the race to do the lead out two k to go in the sprint stage that. That is make really the difference. So that is the main uh, things I think are also about my first part of the season now with the, all this win and yeah, I'm pretty happy to join Team Quizza for sure. Yeah, uh, right on. So we're talking about Milano Sanremo in particular. Uh, can you tell me what uh, that race means for Italians? How, how big of a deal it is in Italy? Um, is it something where? You know your friends back home generally are watching this race. Is it is it getting a lot of media? Um, and and is it important for Italian riders to uh, you know to have this on their palmares? Yeah, I think Milan Sanremo have uh, a few things for uh, for an Italian sprinter. You know, if you are a sprinter and you are Italian, you have one dream: win Milan Sanremo. So that is the race you really want to to win in all the careers. So you see the biggest sprinter in the world and also the Italian one followed this dream for a lot of years because Cipollini tried a lot before to win and Petaki also so uh, but finally they win so it, I think it's one goal where you you really can focus all the winter and all the first part of the season it, it's I mean it, it's the la- the only classics for the sprinter you the, the monument classic you can win you know and it's in Italian this is a really lucky part so uh milan milan the start is really one hour and a half to my my home so i have a lot of fans there in the start and then they follow me until san remo in via roma so that 
that is really uh, really cool because you have, you have all your fans around on podio in the topic moment uh, of this race and uh, you really want to take this win for make a special day you know it's really uh, really an amazing an amazing day so uh, after this one you can dream to win stage of the Giro and uh, a lot of other races but uh, yeah, I think the first dream one Italian sprinter have is about Milan Sanremo. Yeah. So the peloton arrives on the Via Roma after 290 lumpy kilometers. Is the sprint at the end of Milano Sanremo really different from other sprints, or not really? I think it's not really different. The sprint is different. The race, you know, if you look the profile, you feel like oh, okay, it's a normal race. Not a lot. It's just two short climbs in the final, and but really quick one, but. The distance makes the difference. So the first thing is the distance. So doing a sprint after 300k is not the same to do the sprint in every stage race like you do 110, 120, 150 or 200k. But maximum, you have 100k more, 98k more. That that makes the difference. And this small climb for a sprinter after 300k really are a big, uh, big step to to go to go over if you want to do the sprint. So the really nice and curious part I think about Sanremo is uh, uh, I approach Sanremo like with with a lot of uh, finish line before the finish line in Via Roma so the first finish line is be safe uh, in Turquino and then after Turquino the sa- and there is where the, the race starts then the second step is uh, the cup you know the cup is you, you start to be in the final and everyone wants to be there in the position and you need to go over the cup then another finish line is on the top of the Cipressa because it's the first part where who want to win Sanremo by by attack, they need to attack from there. And then the second last is on the podio. When you are on the podium, the first group, you can start another race, the shorter one. The, and after the downhill, when you arrive there, it's all about tactics because nobody are really organized. And uh, that maybe is the different, the only difference in the in the sprint. Nobody are really organized, and you need to have the legs. I think it's one of the sprints where really who have the legs can make the difference. It's not. Uh, it's about positioning, but if you have the legs in Viaroma, the, the this straight go a little bit up. So you need to play also with the gears. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really mix of uh, emotion and. And this put this uh, this sprint really uh, different, but I think it's a race different from every other sprinter race. Then the last 300 meters is all about adrenaline and how how you how much energy you you have uh, you still have in the leg. So yeah, right, it makes sense. You, you mentioned uh, Torquino, you mentioned Cipressa, the Poggio. There's, yeah. a, there's a couple of climbs in this race, obviously, and you have been climbing pretty well this season. You, you made it up to the top of Hada Dam in sixth place in, in Dubai, obviously. You won the overall title there. Is it something that you were preparing for this offseason, trying to get better at that aspect of your skill set, or did that just kind of happen? Um, nothing special. So I, I know, so we know, also the team know when I'm top condition, I, really, I can really climb well. So you see me also last part of the season last year, Winning race like Blue doesn't mean you climb well because it's not an easy, not an easy race. And uh, you just know when I am in good weight, when I have a good weight and a good condition, I can climb well. So 
we just focus to be really on shape in the first part of the season to win straight away to have to give to the team a really confidence so a uh, big sprinters leave the team but another one comes so uh, that is the biggest goal I do for what I work this winter and then after this start I'm really happy with that so I'm really happy also for the second place in Cup 11 you know it's the first classic of the year and uh, be there is really important for me Talking about some of those results, you've been informed since the Tour Down Under all the way through Perry Nice, basically. Are you concerned yeah. about being at your peak for too long? Uh, I think uh, so. Start really well. That means uh, Tour Down Under started like around 20 of uh, January. So finally, it was an, an, a month and a half, maybe two months. So two months, not more. And then. When I arrive in Tour Down Under, for sure, I'm not in the best shape. It's impossible to be in the first race in the best shape of of your body can be. So uh, I think I improve really well. And then also, if I'm not winning Paris Nice, I have a good feeling last week. So in the up and down course, it's not an easy. We don't have a lot of uh, chance in Paris Nice, but I really uh, want to arrive in Nice. So I just abandon 40k to go just because the races are exploded and not make sense to be there to take rain and cold. But uh, I think the shape is super good. It's le- the next next two weeks is really important for me and it's the last two weeks of this period because then I rest and prepare the Giro. So uh, I think I have a good shape. I can go away other two weeks for sure. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you got everything that you needed to get out of Paris-Nice in terms of tuning up? Uh, when you do one race, I think, like Paris-Nice, so it's a few years I do Tirreno, but I really, I'm really happy to do Paris-Nice because I think it's a good approach to San Remo. So you finish Paris-Nice the Sunday, uh, so still six days before of um, San Remo. You have time also to do just a few days of recovery and then one training like yesterday I do to rec- in in the course of San Remo, the last part. So to press Apollo and to do some effort to switch on the engine before the before the race. So I think it's a good approach to, to Milan San Remo. So it's really eight days intensive on the legs. So just now now you need just to approach really well the the, the race. So all right, so my, my last question is, uh, obviously, you, you would want the race to finish in a sprint, but you do have options for uh, for a late attack with Alaphilippe, with Gilbert, so you know, Quickstep has all the bases covered. In your opinion, uh, this is a race that, I mean, it does kind of, it's, it's hard to predict sprint versus attack. Would, would you say that you think it's going to come down to a sprint or a late attack? I really hope for the sprint. <laughs> if I want to win San Remo, for sure, I need to win in the sprint. So uh, I think um, after a few years, really, we are li- like uh, we are sure we arrive in the sprint. Last year, Sagan is the only one can make the difference on Poggio. And um, yeah, we have a few cards to play. So uh, Gilbert and Ana Philippe are ready also to try to win this Milan San Remo. So for sure, we can see someone attack on Cipress and Poggio and I think we are ready if someone attack. I think it's not a lot of riders can do the difference on Poggio yet because the speed is so high in the last few years on the Poggio and Cipressa. So it's really diff- difficult to do the, the difference and the climb, really fast climb like that. But uh, you see Katowski is on fire. Uh, Sagan is always super good and 
uh, he followed that that race from uh, from a lot of time and he finished second a few times. So for sure he wants to win and he can make the difference. So uh, for that we have a few few cars to play. So it doesn't make sense to uh, stop a team like like us to to wait for the sprint. I hope I really hope we all, we come all together in Via in Via Roma to to try to to win this Milan Sanremo. But I think also the rain uh, the provision is really wet day so can the difference so with rain for sure the race is after so stay there when we see what's happening and then we are ready for a few scenario well thank you so much elia much appreciated and good luck out on the road thank you thank you uh, uh that was elia viviani of quick step floors the the sprinter for one of the strongest teams in this bike race and uh i think a team that has so many options that you know, even if even if no single guy in their team is is an odds one kind of favorite, if I look down this start list, I don't think any other team is even really comes close to the uh, amount of firepower that they have. Uh, Viviani having a great early season with all those results. He and Dylan Grunewigen really had strong early seasons. Grunewigen not show. not racing Milan Sanremo apparently. Uh, for some reason, his, his team has decided he's not going to race uh, Milano Sanremo, and actually, he didn't sound all that happy about it. I, I've seen that online, mm-hmm. but. Oh, well, maybe next year. Developing rider. Yeah. Uh, moving on down the line to a guy who's maybe not developing so much, who's <laughs> at that level uh, or is hoping to get back to it maybe after a year or two of less success in the classics. Alexander Kristoff. Yeah, it's it's it, the question in my mind is, can Kristoff win this with without uh, without Luca Paolini, who was outstanding uh, the time he won it and the time he didn't. Um, but he's a, uh, Kristoff is a guy who likes a longer sprint. He likes a longer day, but... He's looked kind of a little flat. He got two wins earlier. He was second at Worlds last year. Uh, granted, with maybe a little hometown motivation, but still, that's pretty good. Second in the World Championships. Um, he had two wins in the Middle East earlier this year. Uh, but at the same time, I I don't know that I've seen superb performances from him recently. But I have a, a guy who deserves mention, certainly just based on past results. And, of course, riding on a new team, UAE Team Emirates. After several years with Katusha, he finally jumped ship along with a bunch of other guys, Fabio Aru, Dan Martin, a lot of talented guys going to UAE. Uh, and I think he's been getting over some, you know, he just struggled with some injuries and illness. And he seemed pretty healthy uh, last couple of weeks. So I think we're going to see an inform Alexander Kristoff at this race. Whether that's enough, who knows. Uh, former winner, though, and that counts for something, won the race in 2014. UAE team Emirates, also with uh, Diego Ulissi who has a nice finishing kick on him and is pretty punchy, could be a guy to watch over the Paggio. Former winner uh, 2016 would be Arno DeMar, who we already mentioned. Uh, he already has some uh, some results this year, looked good in Paris-Nice. Did go a little early at KBK, though. Fair enough. But KBK is a, a measly 1.HC on the UCI rating. This, this is a world tour race and a monument. Yeah. DeMar is going to get it right. Or maybe he's not. I don't know. But he's certainly a contender. This is his kind of sprint. Uh, and, and he surprised some people a couple of years ago when he won this race. But I don't think he's going to surprise anybody anymore. We know how talented he is. He might not, might not have the best team in Groupama FDJ. They're not a bad team. Nice kits. They have nice, great kits. A nice take, a nice, they, they kept the FDJ look, but they got rid of the I agree. Look. I've always liked the FDJ no. kit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a guy who maybe isn't going to be in love with the route. Marcel Kittel has decided to join the Milano Sanremo fray for the first time in his career. Had a great Torino Adriatico. He's going to give it a shot. Yeah, he's, he's riding good. Uh, the question is how 
Is he going to put out like little hats and mustaches and funny nose glasses to his teammates and have them just hide along the Via Roma and then spring out and do a lead out train for him in the, in the last 500 meters? Because as good as he has been riding, and he's been riding very well, a lot of that is just picture perfect execution from his sprint lead out train. You know, I, I don't think anybody, you know, he's, he's not even really having to defend his space behind these guys, which is what you want. Like it's as good as Chippo ever looked behind uh, Aqua Saponi. But you don't get that at the end of uh, a race like San Remo. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't win. Uh, Cipollini won it in 2002 and then retired and then unretired to win the world championships later that year. Um, maybe we'll see Kittle try that. I don't know. He's but, a little uh, young for that, but maybe. Yeah. If it works, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, Kittle may be uh, coming, in, coming in hot, but it's going to take a lot for him to get over those final climbs. He's got Nathan Haas, by the way, strong uh, – Strong sprinter after a tough day who is having a nice year as well. So not a bad second option. Uh, another guy who's really good after a tough day, Sonny Colbrelli, uh, Bahrain Merida. He's had a really strong year. I think we've been talking about him. We, the the cycling media at large, have been talking about him as an up-and-coming, new, maybe one of these Italians who's going to kind of finally start winning some some one-day races who's not Vincenzo Nibali, basically. For a little while now, and he hasn't quite turned that corner at the, at the biggest races, but he does have a lot of versatility, and he, he can do really well after a tough day. So this is the kind of bike race that he likes, and he's he's also very fast in a finishing sprint, so kind of got to like Sonny Corbrelli. And Bahrain also with uh, Heinrich Hausler, who very nearly won this race several years ago. You also have to like his, his teammate, Vincenzo Nibali, <laughs> just from a enjoyment perspective yeah. he always brings entertainment to this race that's that's something that's cool to see is that you have guys like Nibali who are not going to win this race uh mix it up get in the moves drive stuff attack over the Cipressa like there's a lot of I think the Italianness of this race is maybe a little bit undersold uh I think a lot of the a lot of the people who are professionals now grew up as kids watching this and they think ah this is this is you know I'm not gonna win but it's Milan San Remo I have legs let's give it a shot let's do something makes for good bike racing yeah, another team with a couple of different options, Sunweb. And uh, they have a potential sprinter, and they, they also have that guy that won the Giro d'Italia here. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I You know what would be really cool is if Dumoulin took a road nature break yeah. and then got back. Uh, and won San Remo. Yeah. Now, yeah. that would be that would be Legendary. impressive. Yeah. You yeah. could actually probably take several nature breaks uh, before, t- before Turquino, and nobody would, you know, it would be easy. To get back, that would that would drive some web traffic. I'm just yes. gonna throw that yeah. out. Yeah, oh yeah. People would. Uh, I mean, people I'm, would visit a cycling I, uh, oriented website uh, <laughs> if that if that were to happen. I'm surprised so. they didn't get more kind of joke sponsorships. Especially joke sponsored, but you know, you Alpecin's initial entry into the sport was doping for the hair, kind of playing at the sport's history of of, of trouble with performance enhancing drugs. We, I don't understand how we didn't get some sort of Belgian porta potty manufacturer or Sunweb Charmin. Yeah, you know, some, dude, something that'd be come perfect. On. That's not that hard to come up with. Uh, Matthews. Yeah, Matthews has been close in this race a couple of times. Uh, maybe uh, there is a how the race was won that shows him being less big than John Degenkold in a critical moment in the sprint uh, the year Degenkold won it. Um, he has the ability uh, to get into a move and follow this or to win it from a group sprint. He just hasn't really pulled off either yet. Yeah, and he's also coming off of uh, an injury. He was actually not even guaranteed to, to race this event until just a couple of days ago so that's another thing that kind of makes Matthews a question uh, I'm gonna throw out a, a second option on this team or third option I guess uh, as, a, as an under the radar rider to watch uh, a stealth fighter a stealth fighter as I like to call them on the recon ride if you're a longtime listener if you're not 
I kind of apologize yeah, for that, but not so really. I mean, I, right I kind of love it, so we're going to stick with it. Uh, my, my stealth fighter here under the radar is Edward Toons, who has been knocking at the door of a nice big sprint win in a classic, uh, very fast finisher who doesn't mind some some tough stuff on the way to the line. And yeah, if Michael Matthews isn't feeling up to it, and if Tom Dumoulin's long-range attack doesn't work out, they do have this other option in Edward Toons that you can't can't write him off. Uh, unfortunately, one big name who will not be at the start line, 2015 winner John Degenkolb, Drex Segafredo, announced on Wednesday that he's going to miss the race. Uh, he pulled out of uh, Paranese with bronchitis. And the team's would-be second option, Giacomo Nizzolo, also out of the race with uh, with some knee issues that have been plaguing him for the last year or so. So Trex, uh, option A and B, both out. And that's kind of a, a big a big loss for, for this race. I think I think Boy Van Poppel's going to be their uh, their alternative for the for the sprint, but uh, definitely not not quite the powerhouse team that we were expecting from Trek. Uh, moving on down the line, other sprinters: Andre Greipel is a guy who comes into this race uh, as every year one of the top sprinters in the peloton, and still it's it's always just maybe a bridge too far for Greipel. Um, uh, apologies for the World War II movie reference, uh, our <laughs> German friend. Uh, it's it's just, it's a tough race, and Greipel doesn't really do that well after tough races. Although, hats off to Andre Greipel, because he always tries. You know, he's always trying to do something, if not for himself or his team. Yeah, I mean, he's a tremendous super domestique at Flanders. Um, I I think he fits well. I, yeah, I kind of wonder what he would do on a team like with kind of quick step style armament to uh, play off of. Yeah, that's fair enough. Although I like him a lot of Sudol. It's, yeah. it's a scrappier squad. I think, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's like Wellens and Benut and then under Greipel, you know. Let's maybe go some of the best of the rest. Uh, in, in the sprinting category, Mitchelton Scott, the nice one-two punch, Caleb Ewan and newcomer Matteo Trentin, who's Italian, by the way. Uh, Magnus Court Nielsen on Astana, looking really good so far this year. Astana also has uh, Michael Valgren. Uh, Dimension Data's got Edvald Bosenhagen and Mark Cavendish. Juan Jose Lobato riding for Nippo Vini Fantini now. This is a race that uh, he's actually done some things at in the past, and uh, I think he's a guy to watch. Sasha Modolo of uh, EF Education First. Kofidis' Nasser Buani would be uh, a guy to watch, but he's uh, apparently going to miss the race with an illness, and I think Christoph uh, Laporte is going to be Kofidis' rider. At, at least that's the news as of midweek. Uh, but yeah, not a bad sprinter, Laporte. And yeah, there's there's plenty other, I think, second or third tier sprinters who could be in the conversation, but that's, that's probably a pretty good rundown of the, of the sprinters who are going to be maybe best of the rest. In terms of before the sprint, people to keep an eye out for over the Gipressa and the Poggio, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, we've mentioned him a bunch of times, likes to attack. Uh, Greg Van Evermet, who is also a strong attacker, didn't do so well in the crummy weather earlier this year, but has also featured in the sprint. Simon Garens, too, uh, now riding with BMC. Not really sure what role he's going to play for them this season. It's It's been a little while since he was getting results, but yeah, he is a former winner of the race. Alexei Lutsenko trying to get a, you know, a reason for people to keep giving him a paycheck. His whole team a paycheck, I should say. Uh, not Nothing against him, just Astana. Known to have some financial troubles right now. And Tony Gallopin, one of my favorites, a great attacker. I love to see him do well here. And I guess I'd be remiss to uh, leave... Pippo Pazzato as well, veteran, former, one-time great classics contender. It's been quite some time since Pazzato was up there in the racing, but uh, he's here. He bears mention. 
All right. I think we've gone down enough of the start list that we can uh, get to Cosmo's favorite part of our program, the part where we try to predict who's going to win this bike race. I am going to kick it off. I'll take the inaugural honors of of predicting the year's first monument. And uh, I am going to put our interviewee, and I, I don't think I've done this feel once, like maybe? you've done this repeatedly. I don't think I have. <laughs> I don't think I have. Uh, maybe because we just don't get good enough interviews. I don't know. But this time, <laughs> this time, I'm picking Ellie Viviani to win the race. I think Quick Step's too strong, and I think Viviani's having too good of a year. And I think Peter Sagan might might uh, try to attack too late in this race, and uh, it might not work out for him. And uh, if that happens, I kind of like Ellie Viviani in the sprint. I also like Alexander Kristoff, and uh, I'll put Sagan on the podium as well. I'm I'm seeing this coming down to a sprint, though. That's how I see this playing out. And that's why I'm naming three guys who uh, who have nice finishing kicks. I mean, with last year's race being an escape, I, I feel in gambler's, gambler's fallacy, obviously, uh, that this 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 uh, race is quote due for a sprint. I like Peter Sagan. Um, I don't think it's not a sprint last year if Peter Sagan doesn't attack, and I think if he uses some of those watts on the Via Roma instead of up the Paggio, uh, I don't know that there's anyone who's going to be able to touch him. I think we'll see a pretty fierce battle for his wheel wherever he ends up in the group. And I like Kristoff to win that battle. Uh, his coming off of uh, – he has finished second to Sagan before, although he did not come off Sagan's wheel to finish second uh, at Worlds. Yeah, third. Let's go with Kittle. Let's let's put him in the mix there. Let's do this, even without the train. Um, I, I, I remember Alessandro Pataki coming into this race as the greatest sprinter in the world, uh, which he was. Uh, and then finishing like fourth because, uh, you know, he didn't have a train and it's a long finish. Yeah, there have been years where uh, Cavendish or Greipel have come into this finale and the commentator kind of, as they've come around that final corner and said, well, Cavan Greipel here is pretty sealed up. It's one of those two. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't even close, though, in those years. And obviously, Cav did win this race once. But uh, chasing down Heinrich Hausler, yeah, not, it was quite not a, really a traditional sprint. Quite an impressive victory, but that was quite a long time ago. Uh, it, there are there have been several occasions though where there have been these world class sprinters. Marcel Kittel, probably the fastest in the world at this moment, especially since Fernando Gaviria not going to be doing any sprinting for the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just so much harder than a traditional sprint that uh, it's tough. But if Kittel's up there in the top three, I think he's going to be at this race every year from <laughs> from there on out trying to win. Uh, all right, so those are our predictions. So we like for Milan Center and with the first monument classic of the year. There are four more on the on the calendar and maybe some some worthwhile closing thoughts. We talked about on the last Val News podcast, uh, Spencer Pollison, Fred Dreyer and I discussed uh, where Milano Sanremo fell for us in the ranking of our favorite monuments. Uh, what if we what if we sort of try to figure out where it falls in the prestige list? Because I think that's a worthy conversation to have uh, for me. And and tell me if you agree with this. It's 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 up there after Pere Roubaix and, and Flanders, but it's uh, maybe a slightly more uh, more targeted than uh, Liège or Lombardia. I, I definitely put it ahead of Liège. Uh, I like Liège a lot, but I feel like it's a race that benefits from being owned by the same people that own the Tour de France. My credential for Pere Roubaix hasn't cleared yet, so uh, this oh, yeah ASO oh, sure, yeah. Please hope they're not listening. Well, just- yeah, I, th- I think there. I think there's, the prestige is a lot more organic for this one. Uh, you, you definitely see excited people at Liège. French-speaking parts of Belgium are not as fired up about their race as Flanders is, um, but I think the Italians are more fired up for this race, uh, prestige-wise. Uh, I'm told that there are old Italian men who will talk to you about some ancient edition of this event that they saw when they were 16, 
And, you know, that I don't know that you would get that with Liege. Maybe you would. The thing that I think San Remo maybe needs to be a little worried about is you look at that prestige that comes from being this very Italian race, and then you look at something like Strada Bianca, which is almost brand new, certainly in cycling terms. And I think it's really kind of grown into itself as a race. And you have the, I mean, you had a, the cyclocross world champion, a Tour de France contender, and a classics rider, three guys in a break contesting that event. Like when else does that happen? And, you know, the fact that it is this incredibly distinctive location with these white or gray this year, uh, these, these very unique roads with this incredible finish up to the Citadel, like it's really cool. And I, you know, I don't know that uh, San Remo is going to be able to maintain that prestige in light of this other very Italian event. Yeah, watch out, San Remo. This, this race may be coming to steal your thunder, although both of them organized by RCS. So at the end of the day, yes, yeah. Mauro Venue wins. I mean, that's that's the moral yes, of the story. Yes. But. There is some excitement around Milan-San Remo, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, the building excitement even in these Middle Eastern races. I mean, especially at... Uh, at Dubai, at Oman, a lot of the questions toward the riders were geared towards San Remo. And that, that's a, a real touchstone for a lot, not, not just the Italian riders, but pretty much any sprinter. This is a big chance for them. And, and uh, yeah, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. If you're a climber, you have Liège, but you've also got Flesh Wallone. Like you've got Lombardia, obviously. mountain stage of a Grand Yeah, like right. You can win a Grand Tour, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and, of course, if you're, a, if you're more of a cobblestone guy, you have two monuments and then a bunch of other huge races in Flanders. But if you're a sprinter... This is kind of, I mean, this is your race, really. So there is a... Even though it's not the Sprinter's Classic. It's not, it's not. We've discussed, uh, we discussed a little bit before the show how a lot of races have been called that. That term gets thrown around a little it bit. Does. But, it does. Uh, and this race doesn't always end in a sprint, but it does sometimes. So it's a prestigious race. It's certainly a great way to start the year off. And uh, we will warn you that, yeah, probably not a whole lot going to happen in the first several hours, but it does make for an awesome finale. Every year this race has a great finale. So definitely tune in at least for the last 30 minutes and uh, you'll you'll be treated to some good racing, I hope. Hopefully not too many crashes, uh, although bad weather is good racing usually. So sorry, riders, but yeah. I'm kind of hoping for rain. So that's the Milano San Remo preview. Hope you enjoyed. We'll be back relatively soon. I'm headed over to Belgium for the Cobbled Classics and, and Northern France, by the way. I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't forget Lille and, and Roubaix and all that stuff. But yeah, I'll be in Flanders for the Cobbled Classics. So we're going to do previews of the Ronde van Vlaanderen. We're going to do preview of... Paris-Roubaix, and then we'll come back, of course, for Liege Best on Liege. So there is plenty more preview content to come. This has been The Recon Ride, the race preview show from the Vela News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash. And I'm Cosmo Catalano. And that's our show. 